welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. If anyone's been following along, every time I preach, I get the easy ones, All right? And so today we're going to be talking about lust. Woohoo! Who's excited about that? <laughs> Double hands up. All right. No, it's actually, it's funny how providential these kinds of things uh, can be. But uh, if you're new, let me just kind of recap briefly for you and kind of give you some context for where we're at as a church. Okay, so this whole year is dedicated to scriptural spiritual awakening, allowing the Word of God to awaken us by the Spirit of God, okay? That's our entire year. We started with a sermon series directly on what it looks like to live a spiritual life by going through uh, the life of Daniel, and, uh, and now we are focused on the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And this is Jesus before the disciples. He's done ministry all throughout the region, and, uh, and, and, and people are gathering to see who is this guy? What is he talking about? What is this message? And he lays out what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Um, and so as we, we, as we go through it, um, we can, especially week after week after week, right? Like last week we touched on something, two weeks ago we touched on something, when we can kind of forget that this is one sermon because we're stretching it out over several months, okay? And so uh, it's important to realize, and I think, I think Jesus is building on something because he starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. What does that mean? That something in that, there's something in being poor in spirit. A poor in spirit person is someone who says, God, I know, and they say this genuinely, they don't just say these words, right? They actually mean this in their heart. God, I know that I need you, that my entire life, everything that I am, everything that I have is from you, and there is nothing I can do, nothing that I can be separate from you that is good or joyous, that's a, that is a broken, that is a poor in spirit person. And he starts there. And all of this builds on that. So when we touch on uh, like anger and bitterness and, and all that, uh, you can't do that if you're not poor in spirit. And when we get to lust, you can't really be free of that if we're not poor in spirit. And so today, it's going to be tempting for us to say, Oh man, lust is a really big deal for me. I'm never going to get over this. It's ravaging my life. It looks different for everybody, and we'll kind of diagnose a little bit of that along the way. Um, but the temptation will be to focus on this in particular and forget that our natural position should be that of people who are poor in spirit. Okay? <clears throat> We got, uh, we like upgraded all of our technology recently to like, see they have like iPads and stuff, but we forgot that because I don't preach that often and I don't, Mike doesn't preach with a stand, right? So I went and found this in the back and it's in the very back corner under a mattress for a reason. 
because it's, uh, it's it doesn't work properly. <laughs> uh, so here we go. Let's have some fun. All right. <clears throat> Let's paint a picture here of, uh, of, of what, what this can, can kind of look like, this, this situation of lust in our hearts, right? Because that's what Jesus is ultimately getting at, uh, is our heart. Um, so let's picture a man walking through the desert. He's going through days upon days upon days. He's struggling. He has no water, right? No food, nothing. He's just getting beaten on by the sun. His skin is starting to crack and tear apart because there's just no moisture left in his body. His body can't produce anymore. He's starting to get dehydrated beyond belief. And he comes across an oasis, right? So just an, an area where some plant life is growing um, and there's a little bit of water there. What do you, what do, you do if you're that person? You rush over and you jump in and you roll around in it, right? The water, you start drinking all the water. What happens, though, if that patch of water isn't good for you? Right? Because we're thirsty. So we just run for water. Let's compare this, then, to someone uh, like all of us, most of us, who we have a house and we have, like, uh, access to water, right? Clean water, uh, all sorts of water. You know, if it rains, there's big puddles of water. Um, what, what's, what's the first thing we go to if we're thirsty? Think about it. You just at home sitting on your couch. Where do you go? Like maybe you're fancy and you have like a Brita filter in the fridge, so you go to the fridge, right? And you pour yourself a nice, fresh, clean glass of water. Well, where are some other water sources in your house? Sure, the tap, right? The tap. Totally. What are some other sources of water in your house? The toilet! Do you drink the toilet water? Is that where you go when you're thirsty? No. That may be where your dog goes when he's thirsty, right? But we know the scripture, right, that of the dogs returning to eat their own vomit, right? Okay, so let's not, let's not use dogs as a good example because dogs aren't people. I know that might be news to some of you. Dogs are not people. They're dogs. Um, we don't drink out of the toilet water. But lust, is, lust can be like that, that there's fresh water right there within our grasp, and for some reason, we're thirsty, and we just go to the toilet. And so Jesus wants us, wants our church, I believe, to rediscover what kingdom desire, kingdom purpose um, for sexuality is. And so here's our, here's our bottom line for today. Our momentary pleasure shows our eternal measure. Is that as good of, as one of Mike's bottom lines? I don't know. We'll see. All right, I tried. <clears throat> what do I mean by this? Every moment in this life is significant for eternity. Every moment. This is why Deuteronomy 6 says that we should keep his commands all the days of our life, right? It, it's talking about um, uh, this in the context of the fact that we should teach our kids these things, right? And it's so beautiful that we should teach our kids all the time. We should keep them all the time when we sit in our houses, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up, right? What is the author in Deuteronomy trying to illustrate for us? That this is for all of life, right? Every moment, moment by moment. 
So just a little aside here. This is why we need to be present with our kids. This is why we need parents who are involved in their kids' lives. No matter what we're called to, we are called to the second sperm meets egg. There's going to be some terms like this. Get ready because we're talking about sex today, right? The second that sperm meets egg, you are called to be a present parent. All right, so let's continue on. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, always, like every moment, moment by moment. Our momentary pleasure shows our eternal measure. Psalm 145 uh, says, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. This is a consistent theme throughout all the scripture, right? That we're not, every moment, the second we walk out of here, that's a moment that matters. The second you shake hands with somebody on the street, that's a moment that matters. When you tie up your shoes, that's a moment that matters. When you're brushing your teeth in the morning, that's a moment that matters. And it's significant for eternity. All right, so having said that, we're kind of framing this and getting this ready to go here. My heart for us in this season, this is, a, this is an assumption of mine. I'll just kind of show my hand a little bit. This is an assumption of mine. That the statistics on uh, uh, pornography abuse and, uh, you know, sex outside of marriage, um, those, those probably apply to us because it's a, it's a general overview of society, right? That we struggle with the same things. There are people in here, if 80% of men outside the church look at porn, we know because we have friends in the church, lots of them who have struggled with porn. But my desire here, um, my desire here, despite knowing that most of us have some kind of sexual sin that is active and present right now that you're dealing with, uh, or you have sexual sin in your past that you have not dealt with would not hinder us and that would not weigh us down because we need to, like the scripture says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. All right, here's, here's just a story about how, how deep this can go, even in the church, right? So I was in Australia, I just, I, I, just met Jesus. I've been a Christian for five minutes, and I met this banker. He was about 10 years older than me. He managed an entire branch for, uh, I think it was called Commonwealth Bank in Australia there, and, um, <clears throat> and I, we were chatting a whole bunch. You know, we, we kind of did things all the time, like went and surfed and played tennis and all this kind of stuff, and this is what he said. Every single one of his friends, and at this time, he had been at a 700-person church for 10 years. Every single one of his friends who had gotten married had slept with their spouse either when they were dating or when they were engaged. Every single one in the church. And here's the tragedy. Satan 
and your sinful heart will use your sexual failure to strip you of your passionate missional dream and vision and he will fill it or you will fill it with a lame useless desire to be happy live a normal middle-class life and assume the faith of the Christians around you because it feels good and you will allow your kids to deny the faith and waste your life on worldliness my desire is that this does not happen for you Don't I get the easy text to preach? Okay, let's quickly recap the text. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that your whole body go into hell. This brings up my first point. Jesus waged war for your justification. I'm going to explain what that means. If you're a Christian, you may have an understanding of what that means. If you're not a Christian, that's okay. We're going to walk through this together. You could put a little subtitle on this and call it Justification Defeats Fornication. That's sex outside of wedlock. That's an F word we're allowed to use in church. (laughs) Okay, what's the main issue here in the text? What's the main issue? Your salvation. Your salvation is the issue. Thrown into hell. This is the issue. And we can see words like hell and wrath for all eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we can go, oh, well, that's not very nice. That's not very Christian. It is totally Christian. We need to know something. We need to know this. In the church, outside the church, I'm so glad that you are here if you are not a Christian because you're going to hear the truth today. And this is part of it. The wrath of God is real. The wrath of God is tangible. The wrath of God is coming, and it burns hot against sinners. We cannot avoid that truth. And not just nameless, faceless sinners. The wrath of God burns hot against us. That is us. We are the sinners inside the church and outside the church. It's us. Outside of Christ, we are going to hell for eternity. And this is what we deserve. God isn't just angry for no reason. This is what we deserve. We turned against him. 
You're like, oh, I, I grew up in the church all my life. You've turned against him. You know you have. We stand there and we shake our fists in his face. And we say we don't need him. And you think, oh, you're just a pastor. You're just saying this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know Jesus. This was the reality for me for 23 years. We shake our fists in his face and we say we don't need him. Either with our words or with our actions. We just do it with our life. We may not say those exact things, but that's what we do. Despite this, despite God pouring out on us our very own life. This came up this morning. I forget exactly when. You know, I think it was in our prayer time. But God carefully took time to knit you together in your mother's womb. You don't need him. He made you. Can you imagine? You, you know an artist? It's so like, it's so scary sometimes as an as an artist when you create something like let's say you've invented something or and you and you put it out there into the world right to be judged by people and they just like crush your creativity like the first the first thing they say is always oh you know okay well it's it's nice but like here let me tell you the truth right because it's so it's tough right and we do that all the time we crush creative people because we're just such we're so critical and god made you and you crushed his creativity. And he spat in his face. Literally or figuratively. He gave you everything you own. He gave you your job. He gave you your house. He gave you your kids. He gave you your spouse. He gave you your friends. He gave you the air you breathe. He gave you... He, the reason you can see colors is because God gave that ability to you. Everything we experience, everything good we enjoy, God gave that to you. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal punishment in the face of a perfect, holy God for this offense. We are guilty. And in God's court, the judgment has been passed against sinners. The wages of sin is death. So if you don't like talking about this stuff, this is probably the point where you're like, okay, enough. I'm about to walk out. One, hell isn't real. Two, you just kind of sound negative. Where's the positivity? <laughs> right? Yeah, we, we get like this. Okay, I get it. I know. But here we go. Guess what? There's good news for us. Yeah? Is there good news, church? Yeah. yeah! There's good news. Here's what it is. God is good. God is just. God cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about every person on this planet. He wants their love and affection. He isn't going to force you into relationship with him, with, you, uh, with him, but he is going to fight for you. He has done something for you that you could not have done yourself for your sake. And it gets better. 
It's all to prove his love for you. He's wooing you. And every day, I, my wife one time, we said, ah, oh, I forget exactly how to frame this, but it was like, this is just coming out of nowhere. I didn't write this down, right? So it was like, if, if you were God, how would you tell a human who you are? And she said the most beautiful thing. She said, I would just woo them day by day. Just, I would just woo them with little, little things and big things, right? Like grand gestures of love and affection, right? I love you, and you do this big, crazy thing, right, to prove it. We also do the small things. God is wooing you because he loves you. But make no mistake. Make no mistake. God did not just buy a diamond ring for you. God gave up his most precious son. It cost him dearly. This cost him dearly. Your justification, which again, we will define, cost him dearly. But he says you're worth it. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. This is what it cost him. And we hear that and we go, yeah, I know that. I know that. I grew up in church. I know that. Or I, I don't go to church, but I've heard that a million times before. But guess what? This is not a pithy statement we just throw out. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Woohoo! Whatever. Let's go back and watch some sex on the TV. This is the very foundation of everything we believe. There's a doctrine for what goes on here with justification. It's called substitutionary atonement. And some Christians, you go, ooh, I've heard about this. Only mean people talk about it like this. And right now, you sound like one of those mean people. I know. My personality type on the DISC chart is J-E-R-K. I'm perfectly aware of that. <laughs> But there is a modern movement of Christians that despises this doctrine. Even in seminary, I go to seminary, I'm on a 10-year track because there's a lot of work to do <laughs> to finish my MDiv, all right? And professor after professor at seminary is pushing against this doctrine, making it seem like it is nothing, but it is wrong. And I've debated this, and I've written papers on this. Substitutionary atonement is at the center of the gospel. In your place, for your sins. There's an objective salvation event that occurred for your sake. That is a, those are words in the Bible. For your sake. Did Jesus click on that next pornography screen? No, he did not. Did Jesus sleep with that girl outside of wedlock? No, he did not. You did. Did he flirt with that girl because he just wanted to get in her pants? No, you did. But guess what? Here's the good news. Here's the substitution. All of those things, there's a list of them. All those things that you shake in God's face, he writes a list and he puts it on Jesus' hand and he nails it to the cross for you. And you didn't do that. 
This happened 2,000 years ago. You weren't a part of it. In your place. That's what you deserved, but you didn't get it. Jesus got it. That's amazing. Is that amazing? You didn't have to suffer that. Jesus suffered that. That's what you deserved, but Jesus took it away. Oh my gosh! Party time! Woo! And that's just the physical. The cat of nine tails. You've heard me talk about this before. This is a whip with multiple leather straps, hooks on the end that gets lashed against your body and ripped off. And what comes off on that? Chunks of flesh, pieces of bone. That's just the physical. Guess what? The wrath of God, the spiritual, what you deserve, the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that it wasn't poured out on you. This word propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God. That's what it means. And you'll read it in your Bible if it's a good translation. Jesus was sinless and innocent. And he took the wrath of God for you, and you had nothing to do with it. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 rings out for all eternity. This is what it says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That's justification. You had no right to stand before God. But because Jesus died for you and declares you righteous, you can stand before God, innocent and blameless like he was. That's beautiful. That is a reason to rejoice. That is a reason not to lust. You can enter into his presence without guilt or shame. And you can live a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what's beautiful about that? God doesn't leave you alone. And he doesn't tell you to do it on your own. He gives you the Holy Spirit to help you live this new life. And it's a good life. It's the best life. It's the abundant life. All right, this is point number two. Jesus wages war for your sanctification. And sanctification defeats relaxation. Let's just call it apathy, but relaxation rhymed a little bit better, right? <laughs> this new life, if we call ourselves Christians, this new life is not what we talked about earlier, that pathetic, middle-class, North American dream that we chase after. It's not that. Now, some of our lives may look like that, and God will use that, and that is okay, right? But 
It won't look like that. It won't look the same. It won't be the same. Let's, let's change the phrasing of our bottom line. Let's expand it a little more. This new life is defined by momentary pleasures that show your eternal measure. Moment by moment. What brings you pleasure? What brings you joy? It's different. It's different in Christ. This new life is different. Those things that bring you joy moment by moment look different. And it's not that girl on the screen. It's not that girl on the street. It's going to be your wife or your husband. If this is true for you, guess what? You can shut off the computer. And instead of enjoying the fantasy, you can enjoy the mundane, everyday, real life that's right in front of you. You can. You can be satisfied by the Word of God that is necessary for our sustenance to sustain us and to keep us going. Man does not live on bread alone, but the very words that come from the mouth of God. Instead of an orgasm, a real one or an imaginary one. You can find joy again in your spouse as co-heirs to the throne of grace. Despite having allowed your marriage to boil down to being boring, old roommates taking care of kids you call your children or chasing after something else, I don't know, whatever it is for you, bottle of alcohol, some, whatever gives you comfort, you decide, you put in your thing. You don't have to be roommates. You can find joy in your spouse because you are co-heirs to the throne of grace. You both are justified, righteous, and can stand in front of God the Father and receive this new life. You can have normal, loving, brotherly or sisterly conversations and interactions with the people around you instead of flirting or leading them on or hoping for other ends. You can. You can dream big dreams again for the kingdom of God. Sexual sin has a way of killing the dream that God put inside of you for the sake of the kingdom. And then all of a sudden you're 65 and all you've done is store up treasures where moth and rust destroy. There is no treasure for you in heaven. You didn't put any there. So what can we do? We can join Jesus in his missional global movement to see transformation come to all people and all nations. What does that look like for our church? Where are we engaging right now? St. Jamestown. Let's join God in his global missional movement to see the world transformed by doing well with the opportunity that he has stewarded to us in this moment, in our time. This is the time, church, and this is where we start. St. Jamestown, your neighborhood, your neighbor, right next door. And if you don't live in St. Jamestown, that's okay. It's still your neighbor right next door. That is where we are engaging 
corporately, I live in the West End. I'm engaging my neighbors there, and we're going to engage in St. Jamestown as a family. You can join God in his global missional movement to see transformation come to all peoples and all nations. You want to know where all the nations are? Here. St. Jamestown. Wow. You know something my daughter said? It's just so cute. She's one year and four months. <laughs> and anytime anything cool happens, she goes, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's cool to her perspective, right? Because it's so small, you know? Like something falls on the floor. Wow. <laughs> but we need to be like that, right? God does something just so small, but it's still God, and we should just go, wow, right? We can join him in his global missional movement to see transformation come to all peoples and all nations. You can also be a part of a genuine community of faith where people are discovering together how to live in the fullness of this truth. Guess what? We're not going to get it right, but we're discovering day. We're not going to get it perfect. We're discovering day by day by day, moment by moment by moment, our identity and destiny in Christ, the fullness of the truth that God is for us, not against us, that His grace, patience, oh, His perseverance with us, His self-control and love abound. It's so beautiful. Our prayer team this morning pulled up First uh, Peter chapter 4, set, verses 7 to 11. And it just, it was so amazing. One of, the, one of the verses was, love covers a multitude of sins. We can be a people, like I said, we're not going to get this right, but you know what? We can be a people that forget, uh, forgive, not forget. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Forgive and forget? No. Forgive. Know that person. Know their sin. Forgive anyways. God doesn't forget. He just puts it as far as the east is from the west. God knows all things. He doesn't forget. All that because I just said the wrong thing by accident. <laughs> Preaching's fun, right? <clears throat> I forget what I was saying. But we can, this is called the church. This is what church really is about. Love covering a multitude of sins forgiving each other, pressing forward. The verse that Jamie uh, brought to us this morning during our prayer time um, also talked about using our gifts to serve one another and not just kind of when we feel like it. No, let's enter into the fullness of that, the fullness of that. Let's not let sexual sin crush the God that dream has put, the dream that God has put in us for the sake of his kingdom. Maybe you are the best dang muffin maker that anyone has ever seen. You just make really good muffins. Use that. Use that to serve your neighbors. Use that to serve the church. Maybe God has given you something, an issue in the world right now, like the horrible treatment of animals in our meat production, right? And God wants to use you to transform that industry because right now it's horribly evil all throughout and it's such a struggle for me right now to, to even think about it because we, 
it's so hard. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. Everything we eat, we have to think about it. Everything, all the clothes we buy, we have to think about it because there's so much injustice and evil in the world, right? How do we contribute to it? What does God want to do to transform it? Don't let, God, don't let sexual sin crush that dream to see the kingdom come in all the places of the world. Can I say this too? I thought of this when we were worshiping this morning. Christian sex is the best sex you'll ever have. This is what God wants for every person when it comes to relationships and sex. He wants hot, covenantal monogamy. Christian sex is the best sex. It's where real intimacy happens. You're not just using each other for pleasure. It's where you get to serve the other. So many of us just, we just want to get our rocks off. Guess what Christian sex is about? Serving the other. I hope all of us, all of us married people can go home today and do some hot covenantal monogamy. All right? You put your kids down for nap, get to work. Because also in this passage that Jamie brought to us, that all these things, all the ways that we serve each other, and sex is one of them if you are married. If you are not married, you stop touching that girl you leave her pants on, you walk her to the door, you say, see you later, I love you, Jesus loves you, I'm going to pursue you like Christ pursues the church, and I will marry you one day if God wants me to. I was getting to something and I totally forgot it, but that's okay. Christian sex is the best sex. Couples, go home, put your kids to bed, get to work. Oh, right, this is the point, because all of these things are to glorify God through Jesus Christ, including that hot monogamy and covenant with God. Last point. What time is it? Someone tell me. Oh, we're doing good timing today, unlike last time I preached. Great. Number three, Jesus will wage war for your glorification. Glorification motivates mission. Friend, there will be a day when Jesus returns. This is how he returns. We know what it looks like because the Bible tells us. Revelation 19, if you do not believe me with what I'm about to say, go read it for yourself. If there's a subtitle, it's called The White Rider, the, or something like this, the rider and the white horse returns. It doesn't matter what the subtitle says. They're not inerrant scripture anyways. They were added in later, but they are helpful. So look for that one. The white rider returns, okay? This is what the picture looks like. Jesus riding a white horse with tattoos saying, King of kings, Lord of lords, written on his thighs, blood dripping from a cape and a sword coming from his mouth, fire in his eyes. And an army dressed in white at his back. An army. 
And everyone who puts their faith in him will rise again, will be glorified into eternity to be with him. That's where you want to be. This life, you get 80 years. Eternity is forever. And hell is hot. Forever is a long time. You want to be with Jesus. You do. Don't waste your life. The groom will marry his bride. That is not the question. The question is, will you put your faith in Jesus, put your sin to death, receive the Holy Spirit, and live a new life? We can now give everything away for the sake of other people just like Jesus. In the text, we see he says, it's better if, if your eye is the source, pluck it out. If the hand is the source, cut it off. Guess what? He said your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees because what do they do? They make themselves look good on the outside for other people. So they will pluck out their eye and say, yeah, it's my eye that is the cause. Guess what? It's your heart. It's your heart. Don't look like the Pharisees. You could be a limbless stump of a body and you can still lust because it's your heart. Let's revise our bottom line again. Let's show the world that our consistent, lifelong, moment by moment, without skipping a beat, pleasure in Jesus means something into eternity by showing them eternity now. It starts here, today. Today can be your day. You have been putting it off for too long, but today can be your day. Today can be the day that you have real joy. Today can be the day that you real pleasure, that moment by moment, you don't need to chase the things of the world. You can be satisfied in God. You know how we know this is the Christian? We say Jesus died in your place for your sin. This, Jesus' body was broken. Jesus' blood was shed. And so this is how we respond to say that this is true for us. And if you, for you, if it is your first time, if it is the time for you to say, yes, today is my day, this is how you respond. We're going to sing songs. Maybe it's the first time you sing a song to Jesus. We are going to pray. Maybe it's the first time you pray to Jesus. This is where it starts. If this is not true for you, do not take the same hands that you put on that girl or the same hands that you put on that guy and touch the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Do not. But if this is true for you, and today may be the first day it is true for you, come and receive what Jesus has given to you, a new life the sin and the wrath of God that was poured out on him was yours, and he gave you righteousness. This is how you receive it, by faith. Let's sing. Let's pray. Let's worship to him. Let's pray for God, you satisfy us moment by moment. 
So many of us have been dragged down, whether in the church or outside the church, by sexual sin or lust. But God, we need you to satisfy us moment by moment because it matters into eternity. It matters. For 23 years of my life, I didn't know who you were. For 10 years of my life, I was addicted to pornography. For many, many years, I used other people to satisfy my desires. But you broke through it. You broke through. You showed me your goodness. You showed me your mercy. You showed me that on the cross, I could be made new. That the sin that was committed against me, I could be clean from. God, there are people in this room who need to be clean of that sin. Would you move? Would you move? Moment by moment matters into eternity. We need you. I need you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.